if you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 32. Hebrews 11 and verse 32. <clears throat> and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of da David, of Samuel, and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thanks for this opportunity to gather together to worship you today. Thanks for the richness of your love. Thank you for the salvation that you give us in Jesus. And thank you for your word which feeds us and strengthens us. Father, we pray for our children and children's worship and ask that the word going forth in that ministry will, will reach their hearts and that you'll draw these children to you. And for us, Lord, would you do the same? Would you grant to us an understanding of you that deepens our love for you and that transforms our lives? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to think for a moment, just different ways in which we, we approach life and the way that we think about life and uh, in, in life here on this earth. And, and I think there are a couple different ways that we can look at it. And I, I want to contrast two of those ways this morning. I think, I think it's common for us, and I know in my own heart it's so easy to, to, to find myself thinking of life as, as being a homestead. And that's what it's like to be, be alive here on this earth. And by that, I mean that we, we come into this world and, and we find a location, and this is, this is where we're going to be. And we set up our home in this location. While we've got the home started, then we begin to build a community, and then we settle down and enjoy life. Oh, you may hear that and be going, sounds pretty good to me, right? Why, why wouldn't I like that? And it's like, well, yeah, there's, there's something to that, and it is attractive to us, and there's a reason it's attractive to us. But I think there's another way of, of looking at our life here on this earth, and that is to view it as a journey. And that is we recognize that we all begin in different places. And we start moving through this journey, and we constantly meet great people, Right? We've, and and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of that as I'm just seeing, you know, some, some of you I've met for the first time today, and that's, that's wonderful, and I'm thrilled. Some are, are old friends, some from, from far away, and some from here, and, and we just meet some great people in, in this world, and it's wonderful. And some of them are homesteaders, right? And some of them are journeyers. But that's okay, because they're great people, and we enjoy that element of, of getting to meet such wonderful people. And we move toward 
a preferred location. That this is never quite that home where we're going to settle down forever. But this is a place where we're journeying and we're heading somewhere else. As we look at Hebrews 11 in particular, uh, this, this hall of faith, this, this list of, of all of these believers that um, the author of Hebrews has, has put out for us, we see a lot of people who saw life as a journey. Whether it's Enoch, who saw it so much as a journey that uh, one day he was walking with God and God said, hey, how about if you come home to my place tonight? And he said, oh, that sounds nice. And so he's taken and he's just up in heaven. Or, or we see it when we, we think about Abraham, who never quite received the fullness of what he was looking for. He got a taste of it, but never quite. But he was okay with that because he was living for something more. Or even to Moses who maybe started out his life thinking he, he had a homestead and God took him on a journey, right? Whichever that is, we see this example. And I think that in this example, in particular in the list that we look at today in 32 through 40, we see two principles that will help us to journey through this broken world by faith. And I want us to look at those two principles. And the first one is that I be, you need to believe that you are defined by faith, that faith defines you. I've always wondered what it'll be like when I meet Thomas. And I'm, I'm trying to train myself now that I don't slip. Because I can see myself, oh, you're doubting Thomas! Oh, no! I did it again. Because we've defined Thomas by his failure, right? That's just how he's known. I'm sure he's comfortable with that. Because he recognizes the hands which were pierced to take away his sin. But some people we define by their, their weakness. There's also the idea, and we see this in, in Hollywood, uh, the idea of typecasting. You're familiar with that? Or Leonard Nimoy is one who uh, at first was very upset that he was typecast. And there weren't a lot of opportunities for him to play a Vulcan except on Star Trek. And so, but he, he, was, he was upset with that. And eventually he said, well, it's better to be typecast than not cast. And he did find that it did work out a little bit better for him that way, but uh, to, to recognize that. But, but in typecasting, what have we done? We're defining someone by their success, right? I mean, he is Spock. And I think he actually, uh, he wrote a book early in his career that said, I am not Spock. And he, he rewrote it when he was later. And he said, I, I, I actually am. I am Spock. And that's what he changed the name to. And just recognizing that that, that was uh, how he was defined and what, what uh, became a definition of him. But that's defining people by their success. We talk about this a lot when we work with uh, refuge and with survivors of abuse. Because it's so easy to define a survivor of abuse by what they've gone through, right? But a, a survivor of abuse is so much more than that. That doesn't define them. That's just something that they suffered. That's not who they are in the core of who they are. And as you get to know various survivors, you begin to see that these are individuals who are amazing that they're known for their strength and there are no stronger people I've met in my life than someone who's gone through abuse and has continued to follow after Jesus Christ. There's power in that individual. They're, they're individuals of incredible faith and great love. And those are the things that are much closer to defining who they are. To understand what defines us and to realize what the author does for us here in this passage is he shows us a group of believers. Did you catch it? What defines these folks? 
These believers, how are they defined? It's by their faith. You, who are believers in Jesus Christ, your faith defines you, not your failures, not your successes, but your faith. Let's think about this for just a moment. Three, three implications of that. I think that means that we, we need to, that we believe even when sin indwells us. Let's look at verse 32 for just a moment. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Okay. I'm just kind of, we, we could do. Um, how many of you know the story of every one of those listed? Right? How many of you got uh, most? Right? And we can just kind of, how many of you are like, I have never heard of any of these folks? There's no one there. Okay, so we, we've all heard. And, and Gideon is where he starts. And, and Gideon and David are probably the most well-known, right? And he starts out with Gideon. But I just want to consider them for a moment here. And, and we're going to go through each one briefly, lest you look at your watch and are terrified. Um, we'll look at it briefly. But I, as, I, as I was studying this, I was thinking, why? Why this list? Right? I mean, I'd have gone with Ehud before uh, Jephthah, personally. Because I think Ehud's cool. He's the left-handed prophet. I mean, it's just, it's just an awesome story. But, but we don't really know some of these stories. And we don't know them well. Why did he choose this? And I think there's a reason. As I, as I began to just kind of summarize each one, I began to see a theme. And I think it has to do with indwelling sin. You see, the Westminster Confession of Faith in, in chapter 6 and paragraph 5 tells us this. It says that this corruption of nature during this life does remain in those that are regenerated. And although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and all the motions thereof are truly and properly sin. And what the confession is telling us is that we continue to have this, this struggle with sin in our lives, right? When we're saved, as uh, Francis Schaeffer would say, the gospel's not magic. It doesn't magically make us incapable of sinning, Right? That's not the way that it works. It makes us capable of believing so that we can resist sin as we face it, but it doesn't completely take it away. We still wrestle with it. Romans chapter 7, verse 19 and 20, describes this for us as Paul wrestles with this just even in his own life and trying to understand uh, the, the sin in his own life. He says, For the good that I want... I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And the recognition that sin is a power that continues to work in us, it doesn't define us, it doesn't control us, but it is present in us, and it's a force that is difficult to battle. And sometimes we fail, right? As we look at each of these individuals that are listed for us in this passage, we see that their failure is a significant part of their story. Think of Gideon. I mean, when the angel first came to Gideon, he was hiding, right? And he, he greeted him as mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, well, you ain't talking to me because I'm hiding in this pit so I don't get in trouble. He was a fearful man. And later in his life, he, he turns to idolatry. He falls. This, this, this servant of God, this judge, this person who is in the hall of faith, who's listed by name, failed. Then we turn our attention to, is, is Barak is next. 
Barak hid behind Deborah. Remember? He wouldn't go out to battle. He said, well, I won't go unless you go first, right? And so God says, well, okay, well, we're going to give the, the, the victory to a woman. And Jael is the one who, who gets the victory and is able to kill the, the foreign king. It isn't uh, Barak who is able to do that. No, he, he's just been hiding. He's a fearful individual. And he's not willing to go out and to do what he's supposed to do in leading the people of God because of his fear. And yet here he is in the hall of faith because his fear didn't define him. What defined him is his faith. Turns the attention to Samson. There's not a whole lot more I need to say about Samson, right? Just a man of pristine morality, right? <laughs> a, a, a very, you know, self-control would probably be, you know, the, the picture that Samson would never be anywhere near. They wouldn't allow self-control and Samson on the same page of the dictionary, right? Because he just wasn't that. And yet, the mighty deliverance that he gave the people of God. He's not defined by his failure, but by his faith. Jephthah, which is one we're like, yeah, that Jephthah. Who's that? He's the guy who made the vow. He says, I'm going to sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door to the Lord, and it was his daughter. And he did it. He offered his daughter as a sacrifice to God. But that didn't define him. His faith defined him. And David, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, amen? A man after God's own heart, an adulterer, possibly a rapist, a murderer, a polygamist. Mm. But that didn't define him, did it? David was a believer. Samuel, we all know the problems in his own home and the direction that his sons took. And the prophets, that includes Jonah, doesn't it? Jonah who was sent to go take the gospel to the Gentile city of Nineveh. And he was so interested in seeing the salvation of the lost that he went the opposite direction. And so God sent a storm and it wasn't enough to, to cause uh, him to repent. So they threw him overboard and he was swallowed by a whale and lived in there for three days and then it spit him out and threw him onto the beach. It still wasn't enough to change his heart. He said, well, I'll go on the outside, but inside I still don't want him saved. And that's where the book ends. But does that define Jonah? He's defined by his faith as God looks at him. That gives me great hope. Because I have a mirror. And I look in that mirror and I recognize I'm not always the paradigm of virtue. I recognize that I sin. I see my short temper. I see my, my judgmental spirit. I see these elements of myself that are horribly ugly. And I thank God that He doesn't define me by my failures but he defines me by faith. As you look in the mirror and you see your failings, there's tremendous hope that you're defined not by your failings and not by your successes, not by the great things that you've done. I'm not defined by being this phenomenal preacher. Well, in my mind I am, but anyway. (laughs) Even the good things that I do don't define me. It's my faith. That's been given to me by Christ.
We're guilty of and capable of incredible great sin. But we are believers. And that's what defines us. Believe that even believe even when sin indwells you, and then believe that your success is God's. Here I want to look at verses thirty three through thirty five who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. This is a a tremendous list that he gives us of these great successes. Uh, Notice some of the victories that that are listed in this passage. Things like, they, excuse me, they conquered kingdoms, right? They shut the mouths of lions. We all know that story. We love that story about Daniel and and shutting the mouths of lions. That's a tremendous thing. It's great. We look at that victory and we see that as a wonderful thing. They put armies to flight. These are great. Think about some of your victories. You've overcome sinful habits, right? You're able to look at your life and to realize, you know, look, look at what you were dealing with 10 years ago. And where are you today? Five years ago. And even a year ago, and you can probably see areas of your life in which, you know what, I continually fell in that area. But God has given me a grace. And he's growing me. And I'm seeing victory. I'm seeing success. I'm I'm not as angry as I had been. I'm growing in that area. Maybe the victory is that you find in your heart you've been able to forgive someone. And maybe God reminds you of that because you passed the, the grocery store test. You know what that is, right? That's whenever you have a break in a relationship with someone, you know you've forgiven them when you can actually see them in the grocery store and not duck into one of the other aisles, right? Okay, well, that means I've got some level of forgiveness in my heart. And you, you were able to pass that and you say, wow, I have forgiven them. And you're thankful for that. And it's a victory that God has brought in your life. Maybe you've, you've gotten past some of your fears and, and the other day you actually witnessed to someone and you told them about Jesus. You know, you didn't get through all, all of the uh, uh, points of the Roman road, but you, you got at least into the first couple, right? And it's like, you know, I at least told them that I love Jesus. Okay, that's a start. And you know what? That's a victory. It's a victory that God has accomplished in your life. And it's He who has accomplished it. Just as he did these other great victories in these other people through their faith, so he's done that great victory in your life through faith. And it's faith that he's given to you. And he's accomplished this great thing. I want you to notice something right in the, right in the middle of this. Um, as we uh, looked through these, the, the different things that they, they accomplished. Verse 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms and performed acts of righteousness. Did you notice that? These other things are just huge, huge deals, right? And yet, he also throws in performed acts of righteousness. We have a tendency to want to say, you know, all all we ever do is sin. Well, that's just not true according to the Bible. There are actually acts of righteousness that you perform. And you've done that by the grace of God. It's he who has accomplished that in you. He has actually done good in you and has done something really significant. Your service to others. Um, thank you, Missy, uh, for, the, for the testimony of service that was done. 
to you, and you have done so many acts of service to this congregation. We're so grateful for that. But you do that. You love one another well. It's one of the things that I think is just beautiful about this congregation. As I talk to other pastors and have asked for prayer over the years, and, I've, and, I've, and I'm so thankful to watch. We have a, a political diversity within our congregation. Maybe I wasn't supposed to let anybody know that. But, but when we walk in these doors, we love Jesus. Thank you. That's a victory, a success that Christ has accomplished in your midst. That you haven't set aside what you hold to politically, but you have chosen your love for Christ to be of greater value. And that honors God. And it's something that He has done in you. And it's a great thing. Your love for one another, the mercy that you show to others. God did that through you by faith. Believe that. Believe, even when sin indwells you, believe that your success is God's and overcome by faith. Look at verses 35 through 38. I'm going to start at the second half of 35. And others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. I just love that statement. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Do you notice the persecution that's listed there? That they faced? I mean, this, this long list uh, that, that, that is there, that they, uh, um, starting verse 35, they were tortured. Experienced mockings and scourgings, chains, imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two, um, tempted, they were put to death with the sword. All of these are expressions of the persecution that they were facing. I, I, the one that always gets me is sawn in two. I just can't even imagine how awful that would be. And they're saying, you, you need to deny Jesus. I can't imagine how awful it would be to do that to another human being. But to receive that, and these individuals said, I'm going to declare my faith in Jesus, and I'm not going to budge. And I look with just incredible awe at the strength of the character that they could face persecution. We don't face anything quite like that, do we? And yet we cower from a rolled eye. May God give to us a similar faith, knowing you can overcome persecution. You can overcome the poverty. Notice the, the, the list of the poverty that he, he goes into is uh, the, the second half of this. Um, as they went about in sheepskin, in goatskin, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. But don't miss the other thing that they had to overcome. Right in the middle of this, again, Temptations. Do you ever minimize temptations? Think, oh, that's no big deal. It's listed right up there with being sawn in two as an affliction of the people of God. Temptation is no small thing. When you overcome temptation, friends, it's no small thing. It's a fantastic thing that gives glory and honor to God Almighty because He has done that in you. Rejoice in His grace which has given you that power and recognize what He has done on your behalf. Overcome by faith. 
Believe that faith defines you. And also know that I believe that faith reconciles you to God, verses 39 and 40. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So I want to talk for just a moment and and that, that idea of apart from us. We don't know who wrote um, the the letter to the Hebrews. I've told you that I think that it's probably a, it was a sermon that was written down and and was sent. But we do know the audience were were Jewish Christians of the first century, people who had who had grown up Jewish and they had all of the the, the Jewish rites and the Jewish scripture and and that was just their life and and they came to faith in Christ and and they were in this time uh, in between as as we're moving from the old administration of the covenant of grace to the new administration of the covenant of grace, and they're trying to figure out this transition. They're facing persecution from from the Jews. They're facing persecution from Rome, and the temptation for them is, you know, just forget about all this this Christian stuff. We we believe in Jesus, yeah, but we're just going to stay right here in the synagogue and just be here. And that was the temptation that was for them. And so the author is writing to them. But he's writing to them, and it, it could very well be that he was even maybe a uh, a, a Gentile pastor. We don't know. But he definitely had other Gentiles and he wants them to remember that apart from us, you can't be made perfect. Even though you grew up as Jews, apart from us, you can't be made perfect. We're doing it all together. God saves us all the same way. It's all of us. And he's that reminder. So let's keep moving forward. Faith reconciles you to God. Henry David Thoreau was uh, dealing with, I believe it was tuberculosis, was very sick. And someone came into him and he said, have you made your peace with God? To which he replied, I didn't know that we had ever quarreled. And that's a dangerous thing to realize. That he didn't even know that he had offended a holy God. He didn't even know that he had sinned against the one who is perfection. He didn't know of justice. He blinded himself to that reality. He didn't know that he needed to be reconciled to God. You see, the problems that we see in this world, and and don't don't take this wrong. This isn't a a statement on on guns. Um, We have this shooting in in Baltimore last night, and and the problem isn't going to be solved just by getting rid of guns. Now, you know, we, we may decide what we need to do with that, and I'm not giving you an NRA thing. If you know me, you know that's not where I land. What I want us to see, though, is our problem isn't that we kill people. Our problem is that we're irreconciled with God. That's the problem in this world. The problem isn't a political problem. The problem is a theological problem and a broken relationship between men, women, and children and the the one and true God. That's our problem in this world. And we have to recognize that. And we may even be able to, to get rid of it to where there are no more mass shootings. And I pray that God will do that. But that won't save a single soul. Because the real problem is that people are alienated from God. And they must be reconciled to Him. And God reconciles us to Him by faith. Romans 3.23 tells us that the, uh, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Did I do that right? Shoo! 
sometimes, you know, you're in there and you decide, I'm, I'm just going to quote the passage instead of look it up, and <laughs> that can be dangerous. Um, for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person has, has broken God's commandment and is, is, is guilty before God. So there's that broken relationship, but God reconciles us by faith. He uses faith. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's, it's, God works through faith to reconcile us to himself, but he gives us that faith to reconcile us to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 is a wonderful passage reminding us of, of what we're here to do. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What are we doing as Christians? We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In this great letter of 2 Corinthians, which is all about reconciliation, this is the key point. He's saying be reconciled to God. That's what he's inviting people to do. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? That's the question every one of us needs to ask. It's the most important question we can ever ask. Do I believe that Jesus died for my sins? And that means, first off, then, then I've sinned. And I've actually offended a holy God. But I believe that the death of his son was enough to pay the price that I owe. And nothing else can. I can't add to it. I can't take away from it. It's all what he has done for me. Do you believe, if you believe, this message is for you to begin to understand exactly what that means. What that means is that God approves of you. Christian, did you hear that? God approves of you. Look at uh, uh, verse 39. And all these having gained approval through their faith, the word gained approval, the root word is martyr, would be a transliteration of that. We see it used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which uh, we're somewhat familiar with here. I think we had a sermon from it recently. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. That's our word. Both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. It's the witnesses. So, so we gain a witness. That is, God witnesses about us. He approves of us. Do you remember what he did with Job? Satan and the angels were passing in front of God and he said, have you considered my servant Job? He is upright in all that he does. I heard one pastor one time say, you know, I pray to God. I said, God, if Satan's around, you, you don't have to bring up my name. I'm good. I'm good. But yet God was so proud of his son, Job, that he was making witness Job's mind. And he proved it. To recognize that's what it is to gain approval from God, that God testifies that you belong to him. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you sometimes feel as you look in that mirror and you see your own failings and you recognize where you have, you have not had victory in your life and where you have sinned, and you look at that and you feel like maybe God is ashamed of you? This passage reminds you that Jesus is never ashamed to call you his brother, his sister. Never ashamed. As a matter of fact, we read in, in chapter 11, verse 16, a few weeks ago, 
But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavy one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed that you would say, this is my God. Now, there was an argument years ago. Remember when uh, we used to make our, our cars into Christians? You know, we put a fish on them, so it's now a Christian car. Um, and, and, we'd have that, and some people would say, well, I never want to put a fish on the back of my car because, you know, sometimes <laughs> I cut people off or I drive really fast and I don't want to, you know, give that. It's like, well, even then, God's not ashamed to call you his. He also invites you to maybe do something a little different. But nonetheless, he, he's not ashamed. And I think it's so important for us to recognize that, particularly as we're facing various struggles in our lives. He's not ashamed. As a matter of fact, he stands up before all of creation and he shows his approval of you. And he not only shows his approval, he also perfects you. That apart from us, they would not be made perfect. The word perfect, we've talked about this in numerous times, means complete. It's the word telos, which talks about the end, the, the, the conclusion, what we're looking for. It's, it's to be finished, which is why Jesus used it that way when he's on the cross and he cries out, He'd earlier cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe the Father answers him and tells him precisely why, which is all of our sins. And as he takes upon himself the full wrath of God, the entire cup, he drinks to the bottom. And he says, it's finished. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's exactly as it ought to be. It's complete. It's finished that you will be perfect. Precisely what God has for you. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one. What is the chief end of man? Some of you may know. It's what we're made for, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And friends, He will do that. You do glorify Him and you will glorify Him. You do enjoy Him and you will enjoy Him. He will perfect you. Think of God's plan and how it's perfected. I want to look at four different passages to just remind us of that plan. The first is in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to prove God's will. I want to show that it's perfect. How do I do that? By having my mind transformed. That's the beginning point. Ephesians chapter 5 speaks about this. In Ephesians 5 and verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Right? If I'm not trying to understand the will of the Lord, I'm being foolish. Don't be foolish. Understand the will of the Lord. What is the will of the Lord? Do not get drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be controlled by other stuff. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. That's God's will for your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I just want to focus on that right now. You becoming holy is God's will in your life. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. In everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you see what God's will is? He's going to perfect that, that your mind is going to be transformed. 
He's going to perfect that by filling you with His Spirit. He's going to perfect that by making you holy. He's going to perfect that by allowing you to give thanks in all things. He's going to perfect His will. It will be perfect in you. That's a tremendous hope. This next sentence may be completely new to everybody. This world is broken. Okay, maybe not such a, such a great uh, revelation. We've got killings. We've got hatred. We've got oppression. Sin entered this world and death came with it. But God has put inside us a thirst for something more, hasn't he? I'm not satisfied with this world as it is. Even non-Christians recognize it. And they're not satisfied. They, they long for something more. So we journey through this world looking for a better place. And to journey through this broken world, we must believe. We must believe that we're defined by faith and believe that faith reconciles us to God. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in this passage. So many ideas. I pray that in your grace you might allow at least one to just sink in to each of us so that we might journey through this broken world trusting you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.